0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. We need to do something very serious. We have a, we have a brother in Christ that is in the hospital with a serious heart condition uh, right now, so we need to pray for him. Most of you know the Hamiltons, uh, and it's Scott, so I'm going to lead us in prayer. Almighty and holy and sovereign God you know your plan for him uh, you know what you have for him you make us this huge promise father in your word that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose and Lord we just ask that your Holy Spirit be ever present with Scott and Sherry during this time and the kids that uh, they feel our love uh, from afar and we live in the truth of Paul that when I'm not present with you physically or present with him spiritually, Lord, to let him feel this whole fellowship uh, upon him. Father, glorify yourself in in this medical issue that you will be done, magnify and exalt who you are and let us just stand and wonder. We thank you in the sufficiency and the supremacy of your son in all things, amen. God tells us in uh, 2 Samuel 7, that uh, David now is not being chased by his enemies anymore and he's living in a nice house and he goes you know I have a house but God doesn't I got this beautiful cedar house and God has no house at all he still dwells in a tent and he's telling Nathaniel the prophet that I'm going to uh, I'm gonna build a house for God and so Nathaniel goes home after that that he actually says Nathaniel says this to David go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you Nathaniel goes home, goes to bed, has a dream, and the dream is God telling Nathaniel, go tell David he's not building a house for me. I have another plan, and so Nathaniel goes to David and tells David that God wants me to tell you that you're not the one to build him a house. He's got a plan for that. It'll actually be your son, but the greater plan is that... Uh, an everlasting house for you David. We turn to James and James tells us that uh, in chapter 4 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? So we were going to have a panel discussion this morning. There were going to be three of us, myself, Carrie Shar, and Esther. Esther called yesterday morning, and said, I'm not feeling good. I'm not sure I'm gonna make it. Uh, I talked to Carrie. She didn't sound good, but she was gonna make it. Esther, a little while later, I made a plan like I should, right? So I called, I actually called Ed, and Ed wouldn't pick up his fu- phone to see if he wanted to be on the panel. Uh, then I called and said, you may have to have somebody sit in. Uh, can you do it? Ben said, "Yes." So at least I thought I had three, right? I had me, Ben, and Sherry. On my way to church this morning, I get bing, bing, one right after another. Carrie, Tim, I apologize. I can't talk, I'm not gonna make it. Esther, Tim, I thought I was gonna do good, not gonna make it. I call Ben and I go, how are you feeling? He goes, I can't talk. (laughs) You know what this proves? It wasn't the Holy Spirit's will to have a panel discussion that's the lesson we get from David right he has a dream that I'm going to build this great house of the Lord because he doesn't have a temple I've got a great house he's living a tent and he's God of the universe and God goes yeah David great plan but it's not my plan and James reminds us that don't plan for tomorrow you don't know what my plan is for you tomorrow Could take your breath away and that's what he did this morning. So we're going to stay in Ephesians. But I just want to. So I'm sitting there coming in. And you plan and adapt the whole structure for a panel discussion. Totally different than you plan a discussion for a message. But Holy Spirit's sovereign. And um, it's going to be a beautiful time. So turn to Ephesians. There's going to be a little bit of Participation. I'm going to read, we're gonna start in uh, verse six. Uh, remember this, 14 verses is one sentence in the Greek, one continuous thought inspired by the Holy Spirit to Paul. Okay? And so I'm gonna back up a little bit because the context of six actually leads in, we have to understand how it flows into seven and eight. Okay, so I'm gonna start in verse six. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. And I'm going to stop in the middle of 8 because the rest of 8, and all wisdom and insight actually flows into nine. And Bill's gonna cover that next week. Um, And the reason I had to back up to five is the adoption through Christ leads us to praise him in the beloved. And then in verse seven, it says in him, the beloved, we have this and it's a continuation of the adoption. But how did we get adopted? Was there a payment for the adoption? Absolutely. And out of that adoption, because we're sons of the li- daughters of the living God, we get lavished with grace. And so I wanted to build this beautiful job last week of looking at adoption. We have a new father, we have a new family, we have a new inheritance. And he did this great job of taking this text and applying it to us today. I wanna to just put a crown molding on the house that, that uh, that bill built around adoption. So I wanna back up a little bit because this is a letter to the Ephesians. How did they understand the the adoption language? So I'm gonna, gonna, this is participatory. Everybody's got to participate in this right now. Everybody raise your hand who's doing the same thing your mother or father did. Same exact job, same exact career. Wow, one, two, awesome if we were sitting 2,000 years ago in Ephesus and I asked that same question it'd be hundred percent of the people would raise their hand and say I'm doing the same thing my dad did the same thing my mom did if my mom if if my mom is the Proverbs one wife and she owns a vineyard her daughter would say I'm a vine dresser just like my mom if I'm my dad's a stone cutter I would be the son of a stone cutter right your identity in ancient times was fixed to what your parents did. That's why Jesus is called son of a carpenter, right? Uh, So not only does ancient sonship or daughtership tie yourself to what your parents did, the the, the actual uh, occupation, it it ties you to their conduct. And that's real important to see as I unpack these next few verses. If we don't get that part right on how it, it falls onto the audience that the letter was written to, we, we, we're we're gonna miss some things in the beloved, in this lavishness of grace that God's gonna put all upon us. Okay. So uh, the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacekeepers. For they are sons of God. Why are they sons of God? Because God is the only one that can bring peace. It's who God is. Has there ever been a time from the beginning of Adam to today that we've had peace in the world? Not once. Why? We're not. Unless we have God in us, unless we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can't keep peace. Because God is peace. Uh, You look at chapter 8 of john jesus is debating the pharisees and he's telling them that you know if you would that you know he's talking about who parentage and linkage in israel and and he says to uh the, the the pharisees say to him well our father's abraham and jesus says if your father was abraham you'd believe me and they argue back but our father's abraham and he goes no your father's not abraham your father is the devil because you're a murderer and a liar just like the devil. This is the Pharisees he's talking to. So why did he say that your father is devil? Is he saying that the devil came down and they were born out of the devil? No, their conduct, their, their conduct, what they followed was the devil. So in ancient times, we, what we see is, is that not only is it my, my physicalness that i get from sonship but i get the very conduct the very essence of my parents and that's important and i'm not going to go any further than that we'll unpack that when when god lavishes his grace on us we get the love of god we get the grace of god We get the peace of God, the long suffering of God, the patience of God, the kindness of God. We get God's communicable attributes, things that God is, God gives us. He does not give us all of them. We don't get all knowing. We don't get all presence. I cannot create ex nihilo out of nothing. I can't speak it and it exists. But he does give us attributes like that. We're gonna see that. Paul tells us that, that we now have the mind of Christ. Didn't have that before I, before I was adopted. Couldn't have. Because before I was adopted, my sonship was just like, just like the Pharisees of Abraham. I was a son of the devil. I was a liar and a murderer and a deceiver from the very beginning. That beautiful explanation that Bill did last Sunday of, of sonship. I am now son and daughters of the living God and I can love like God. I can have patience like God. And that's what we're gonna see as we unpack this, okay? So that's why I needed to back up a little bit. So let's work our way through that. He predestined us for adoption into himself, to God. He adopted us to himself, that's what makes us sons and daughters of the living God, through Jesus Christ. So I didn't get there on any of my own merit. He did it in Christ and Christ alone. According to the purpose of his will. It's just something God desired to do. It's something that pleased God. To adopt us and to give us this sonship and daughtership. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved, there's Jesus. He blessed us in the the beloved every time paul uses beloved it's in the context of how the father loves the son and then he says he blessed us in the beloved verse 7 i love it in him we have redemption i have redemption in him and when you take that greek apart what it's saying is the same. Where's uh? Where's Mark? I'm not sure I'm going to get through this, Mark. Uh, the same love, the eternal love that God had for His Son, He now gave to us. He now gave to us. Praised his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ, in eternal love. There was never a time that God the Father did not love God the Son. In him, in the beloved, we have redemption. Another really interesting ancient term. Because we don't redeem anymore. Right? It's almost a word we don't even use. But in the Old Testament, especially at this time, it was huge. How many in here have ever been put into uh, slavery or indentured servitude? How many of you had a parent that went broke and they had to sell their children to slave to pay off their debt? Or the whole family had to go into slavery to pay off their debt? No hands again. It simply doesn't happen anymore, right? In the ancient world, it was very common simply they didn't have banks nobody gave loans so if I was if I was a small guy renting something and buying things from a, another person to supply whatever I'm doing let's say I'm selling yarn right but I don't make the yarn I buy the yarn and I'm selling it and I don't pay my debts and the yarn guy in Ephesus says I want my money and I don't have any money the courts would say you are indentured to him till you pay off your debt Basically he owes me. And so the Greek there, word there for in, in redemption is a word that means to be bought out of slavery. Now I could be bought out of a slavery. We, we did this yesterday in membership class, right? You own a kingdom and I own a kingdom and you come take my kingdom over. I'm now enslaved to you, right, John? Uh, at some point in time, I can be redeemed, right? And you would allow that to happen because that was a culture. Somebody said, you know, if you put a value on my head and somebody said, hey, buy him out of this, you would buy me out. But it took a redemption. Somebody had to pay it. And in the love of God for his beloved and the love of the beloved for his father before the foundations of the world, God said, we're going to create. And we're gonna create image bearers, seven billion image bearers in the, United, in the world today. Seven billion people that bear the image of their creator. Mark, how many have we reached? Both Marks. We got a lot of people to reach they are image bearers of their creator, right? Do we even, does that, does that fall heavy on you? There's three billion Chinese that are the image of the living God. He created him to do what display his glory so he creates he gets these image bearers and he goes you know what I love fellowship I'm a fellowship loving God there's never been a time I haven't been in fellowship because I am God the Father God the Son the God the Holy Spirit I have fellowship within the very being who I am and because I have fellowship within the being that I am I'm going to create and have fellowship. And here's how I'm going to do it. My son is going to go and redeem Tim Irick out of his sin. And Tim, for a long time, thinks he's going to be able to do that all by himself. By God, I just knuckle down, pull up my boots. I'm an agriculture man. I know how to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, go change irrigation sets all day long on 1,000 acres of cotton. Ain't no problem. I can do it. As an old friend of mine in Tennessee would say, ain't no step for a stepper, right? I bet you a lot of us at one time figured, yeah, there is a God and there is sin, but by God, I'm strong, I can go do it. And the Lord just keeps whittling you down and whittling you down and whittling you down. And you finally say, I can't do it. And then there's a desperate moment in all of our lives, right? That you're going, oh, my God, I do believe in hell. I know I'm sinful that mirror that's dimly is not as dimly as it was the day before right it's actually getting pretty clear and you're sitting there going this kind of begins to make some sense and then that shocking truth comes to you goes so God's 100% holy I'm 100% sinful and actually Paul says in Romans, I'm a slave to sin. I can't do this myself because I've already tried. I'm tired. <laughs> uh, but God says that his son paid it. So then you can start going, exactly what does that mean? If he paid it, what does that really mean? This, pre- this, this passage right here says that his redemption paid my adoption and now I'm a son of the living god with all the inheritance that comes from being the son of the creator of the universe let that fall on you and what comes with that is being to, being able to love each other as god loves us that fall on you we're doing that really well aren't we we are a patient bunch even believers aren't we We we're a long-suffering bunch aren't we those rhetorical questions (laughs) right so the redemption shows us the value of the blood of christ it bought and paid for the fellowship that God has always desired, and that magnifies and glorifies him. Do you realize that? He created to bring a family unto his own to glorify and magnify him. And he paid with that with his blood. Okay? So, keep going. In him, in the beloved, we share in the love that God had for his son, directly and intimately it's related to Christ and our being in him. John chapter 4 tells us what? We love because he first loved us. No distinction. The Holy Spirit did inspire John to say, all you image bearers love this way because he first loved you. It says, no, you love like Christ, like God loved his son. Why? Because I first loved you. That's the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit because it's God fruit, right? That's who we are. That's what, that's the pleasure. That's the, the, uh, the amazingness. We're gonna, in the minute we're gonna get to this word lavish. That's the extravagance of God's grace to his sons and daughters. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So we have been redeemed from God's judgment, his wrath and his orders. And we've been, we've been redeemed from our sins according to the riches of his grace. I love the Holy Spirit when he, he uh, inspires Paul to talk about God's grace. It's never, ever a little thing. Never. Never, you, you'll you never find the context of, of Paul talking about God's grace where he simply says, according to his grace. There's always something else, his riches, his treasures. And here it's actually even better. According to the riches of his grace, which he just kind of put upon us, uh-uh, which he lavished upon us. The Greek word there means extravagant or expensive. You ever thought about the price of the blood of Christ? I think I've done this before, but I think it's a good place to do it. There never was a time, one time. There's been one time in all of redemptive history. And actually, there's been one time in all of eternity. It's only happened once. That the Son of God, that Jesus Christ did not feel the love of God. On Calvary, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why can I not feel you? And why is the only thing I feel from you wrath? An eternal love affair between God the Father and God the Son halted by nothing that Christ did, but everything I did. And why did Christ do that? First and foremost, he loved the Father. And he tells us in John chapter 5 and 6, the Father shows me everything, and everything that the Father shows me is really good, so me dying for the sins of Tim Irich is really good because I'm shown It glorifies my father. And if it just ended there, we should all go be eating and not come here on Sunday. It didn't end there. All his followers thought it ended there, didn't they? That went home and hid. Buried Jesus, hid, and go, whoa, we were following the wrong guy. And what what happened one Sunday morning? Two ladies, following Jewish customs, go to a tomb to clean the body within the Jewish custom time frame. But the tomb's empty, so they run back, tell those guys hiding in the upper room, "Tomb's empty." and they go run. Tomb's empty. Mary Magdalene kind of holds back. somebody that she thinks is a gardener goes what in the world are you looking for she goes somebody stole my Lord and Jesus just smiles and goes really really then all of a sudden the veil is released from her eyes she always knew God she always knew Christ right she didn't she knew Christ she followed Christ she did not know Christ until he lifted her veil at the tomb and what did she do Everything he taught for three years just poured in her like a flood. And she goes, everything you've ever told me is true. And what did she do? She fell on her knees and grasped him. Would not let go of him. Do we do that with him now? Are we as stunned as Mary Magdalene? She at that moment fully understood preciousness of the blood of Christ because everything he told her came true. And we have 2000 years of church history to stand on. We talked about that in, in our membership class yesterday. We're babies in the church. There are 6,000 year old saints worshiping God in heaven today, every day. And most of us are barely newborn when you compare us to 6,000 years, right? What a family to belong to. Do you sit with great expectation at actually seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity and be amazed at Ephesians six, seven, eight, nine, 9, Galatians, Colossians, Revelations, the entirety of scripture? I'm going to end it with this. The band would like to start coming up and we'll pray. In uh, 1 Corinthians Paul uh, writes this for who has understood the mind of the Lord so the context is he's talking about only spiritual people can discern spiritual things. Only spiritual people can understand this. You have no way to understand it if, if if you're not spiritual, if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And he says of this, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mindset of Christ. Why? Because the blood of Christ bought my adoption to be son and daughter of the living God. And what lavished grace that god put upon us the lavish grace of my salvation is one thing but he lavishes grace on us every day and that lavish grace that is on me every day is i can love you guys just as god loves you i can be patient with you guys just as god is patient with you i can long suffer with you and everything you do why because god long suffers with you i can be kind with you why because god is kind with you His lavish grace poured out that attribute. And not only that, you can do that with me. And as long as God has me here, you will have to do that with me at times. (laughs) Right? None of us are perfected. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, (laughs) thank you. Holy Spirit, I stand amazed. I just love what you did this morning. Uh, so humbling and, and uh, so amazing as you—you um, you clearly showed me, God and Holy Spirit, why you create viruses and bacteria. And um, we wonder sometimes about those things. And you used them today to say, "Oh, your plans, Tim, your and Bill's plans are great plans. There's nothing wrong with them. They just simply weren't mine." And you directed it. Let us start in awe of that. Oh, God, let us. Sit in awe of being your sons and daughters. And Sit in awe that you've given us the fruit of the spirit and spiritual gifts that you lavish upon us in your grace and mercy. Lord, let us cry right now for Scott. Let us hurt for Scott and Sherry. Let us think of them often during this time. And as they need us, Lord, let us fill their physical needs during this time out of love the love only you can give us, and it's your love. So we thank you. Let us live in the sufficiency and supremacy of your Son in all things. Amen.